What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Kevo Bands Hoops Podcast, man. Back at it again today, Wednesday, May 31st. I hope all you guys are doing well. Hopefully, all you guys are growing and evolving. And today, I just want to start off by saying, learn from your past, but do not hold on to it, man. The past is the past. Live in the present. Enjoy the present moment. Every single day that you wake up is a new opportunity to get better, to evolve, to change, to become the person that you aspire to be, man. So again, learn from your past, but do not hold on to it, man, because when you hold on to it, you're forever living in the past and you don't want to live in the past. You want to live in the present. Enjoy the present. The present is a gift. That's why it's called the present. So again, I hope all you guys are doing well out there, staying safe, staying easy, and just being the best versions of yourselves that you can possibly B. And with that being said, it's a lot of things going on in the basketball world. Today, again, is the 31st, the last day of May, which is the official deadline for college basketball players to enter their name into the NBA draft. It's either you're in or you're out. So we're going to talk about that in the next episode about some players that decide to stay in the draft and the dudes that decide to come back and play college basketball. We'll get to that. But let's let's get to the NBA because my team the Miami Heat as an eight seed, even though I don't look at us as an eight seed, is in the NBA Finals. But before we preview the finals with the Denver Nuggets, I want to talk about the Eastern Conference Finals first that we played against the Celtics. It wrapped up this past Monday where we won in a seven-game series in Game 7 in TD Garden, getting revenge from last year when the Celtics beat us at our crib in Game 7. Man. This was a sweet, sweet, sweet revenge tour. Of course, we beat the Bucks in the first round. They swept us a couple years ago in 2021. We beat the Knicks. You know, that rivalry with the Heat goes way back to back when I was born in the year 1999, probably even before that, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, we just beat the Celtics. I just mentioned we played them three different times in this Jimmy Butler iteration of the Miami Heat. We are two and one against them. And man, This series was crazy, as I don't know what. Of course, we won the first three games. Then the Celtics won the next three games. And everybody kind of just was like, oh, are the Celtics going to be the first team to come back from an 0-3 deficit and win? Because it's never happened before in NBA history. And I knew all along that Eric Spolstra, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Udonis Haslam, Kevin Love, and everybody else in that Miami Heat locker room was not going to allow history to be made and be the first team to blow a 3-0 lead. I just knew it wasn't going to happen. So with that, though, in Game 7, sadly, Jason Tatum literally got hurt on literally the first play of the game, tweaked his ankle. It was bad. You could tell he was just not himself. He was a shell of himself, as he mentioned, after the game. You never want to see that happen. Jason Tatum is a, a great player with his back against the wall, especially in elimination games. He ups his game. He's one of the youngest stars. He's going to be a face in the NBA. He's already a face in the NBA, but he's on he's on his way up. We'll talk about the Celtics' future in a second, but watching that happen sucked because as a basketball fan, you never want to see anybody get hurt, right? So when it did happen, though, you could kind of just feel the entire life and spirit just get completely sucked out of the Celtics' pause, right? And so – I hate that it happened, but on the other end, though, the Heat came out aggressive. They came out playing the defense that they've been playing this entire postseason, and they kind of start off a little bit slow offensively, but once they got it going, they really got it going, and they did not look back whatsoever. Jimmy was aggressive, and that was kind of my biggest thing because coming off that game six heartbreaking loss, the biggest adjustment that the Celtics made 
in my opinion, at least defensively, was that they were playing Jimmy perfectly because they were staying disciplined. Like every time Jimmy has the ball on that right wing slash right corner, he's going to attack to his left and he's going to get back and spin back and get to that left shoulder and rise and fire from there. But Derek White, give him a lot of credit. Not only was he cooking us offensively, but defensively, he did a great job of containing Jimmy. And so after game six, I kept saying like, Jimmy just has to go up. If the defense is going to give you that opportunity to just go up, then take it. Do not hesitate. If he gives you a chance to dunk on him, dunk on him or just use your left hand or just go up straight with your right hand. Like it's not that difficult, but Jimmy for some reason just kept on spinning and spinning. And yeah, we had a chance to win game six for some reason. I don't know why, because the Celtics led that game for like 100% of the time until like the last two to three minutes. But, you know, Derek White, shout out to him for getting that timely put back to win that game. That was a major kind of heartbreaker. But getting back to game seven, Jimmy got back to himself. He was aggressive. He finished with 28 points, six assists, and seven rebounds. Ultimately ended up winning the Larry Bird Eastern Conference Finals MVP trophy, which of course I know he probably doesn't even truly care about like that. But I know I started off with Jimmy, but I really should have started off with Caleb Martin because this dude, man, I don't even know what else to say about this dude. Like the way that he's risen and ascended in these playoffs is something that I honestly don't think I've ever seen from a quote-unquote role player ever in my life. Like, I'm pretty sure that 2011 Dallas Mavericks team had a couple of candidates that you could use, but the ascension from Caleb Martin is honestly just amazing, especially watching his growth because he's originally from North Carolina. Y'all should know the story. Played at a local high school team out there. Then he went to Oak Hill, played for Steve Smith, the legendary coach Steve Smith. Then he went to NC State with his brother Cody, and then he transferred to Nevada and play with his uh obviously play with his twin but was there with Eric Musselman y'all know how I feel about Mus and to see him get to this point because you know they were cool for Charlotte we all know Charlotte's not a great place when it comes to development but what he's doing for this team with the absence of Tyler Hero and Victor Oladipo just raising his level of play like yeah you can make a case that he probably should have won Eastern Conference Finals MVP I'm not going to sit here and argue that their teammates I guarantee you Jimmy and Caleb don't even really care about that because they ultimately want to hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy but just the way that he was getting his buckets this dude was literally bringing up the ball and getting the heat into their sets offensively I never thought I would see the day and not only that he would bring up the ball and literally call an isolation play just for himself and he would score the bucket and that's what I loved about his game the most and the way that he's played is that he's getting his buckets in a variety of different ways from the mid-range pull-up from the three-point line off the dribble from getting to the rack like he just does it in a variety of ways and I love that for Caleb Martin we already paid him but that next contract is going to be through the roof and I'm super excited for him and ecstatic for him and I pray that he doesn't ever play in another NBA jersey outside of the Miami Heat because he solidified himself in my eyes and probably for most Heat fans that he is indeed a Heat lifer. So shout out to Caleb Martin, man, for show, for show. Then I want to get to Bam because this is one of my biggest quote-unquote gripes when it comes to NBA Twitter because NBA Twitter has this thing where if you're not scoring the ball, if you're struggling to score the ball, people automatically equate that to having a bad overall game. And I disagree. Like, yes, Bam should have scored a little bit more. He missed a bunny in game seven that was super frustrating because he was right there at the rim, had a mismatch. I think Derek White was guarding him. He just completely blew it, but it was an easy left he should have made. No excuses for that. But this team goes through Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. I don't think people understand just how much these two dudes do. Defensively, they are menaces. They both anchor the defense. Offensively, Bam 
dribble handoffs. He sets excellent screens. He's consistently rebounding. He's consistently getting his shooters good open looks. He got Duncan Robinson so many easy backdoor layups, and he's only, what, one of two bigs in him and the Joker that are capable of making dime passes like that? Like, please stop disrespecting Bam Adebayo just because he's not consistently putting up 25 a game, okay? I just want to put that out there because Bam, honestly, I, I don't even give him enough credit just because I know that deep down he's probably never going to be that scorer, but for everything else that he does, it's no doubt in my mind that he earned that max contract extension that he just got not too long ago. He is a major player, and if he does start to finally find his scoring or find his scoring niche, shall I say, he's only going to get better and better and better. I think one day he will. He just can't consistently rely on that mid-range jumper because it's a tough jumper to live and die by. But nonetheless, he made plays. Gabe Vincent and Max Struess both held it down in the starting lineup. Kyle Lowry and Duncan Robinson were both major cogs off the bench. And overall, our defense just held it down. The Celtics kind of, again, without Jason Tatum, they shot terribly from the three-point line. I think they shot like 9 of 42 or something like that. That's one of my bigger issues with the NBA right now. Like, people are always talking about, like, yes, it is the highest level of hoop, and we got all these hoop geniuses in the NBA. But at what point are you like, okay, the three-point shot isn't falling, so let's attack the rim, especially because the Celtics are a much larger team than the Miami Heat. But that's another conversation for another day regardless. But overall, I'm super happy with the Heat, man. They've been on a run that I can't even fully put into words as an AC beating the one-seeded Bucks and then beating the two-seeded Celtics. Like, they beat the best two teams in the East in their run. Of course, we beat the Knicks on the way to that, but it's been amazing, man. And I got to give Eric Spolstra, the entire coaching staff, the entire front office, and everybody else associated with the Heat a ton of credit because they never folded. They never wavered. Every time we're down 10, it feels like, you know, we're it's 0-0. They never get flustered. Like, this team is just so mentally tough because most teams in the NBA – after they lose game six, the way that we lost game six with that Derek White tip in, most teams are mentally shattered after that. You fought your way back into that game after you were, you were trailing for a large portion of that game and you had a chance to win and then you lose like that. Most teams, mentally, they're not coming back from that. In the heat, we're like, okay, we're going to go up there and then we're going to book our tickets to Denver and we're going to compete in the NBA Finals with Denver. So, again, shout out to the Heat, man. It's been a hell of a ride. And let's keep it going. So that's that. Let's get to the Celtics real briefly because it was a lot of chatter around the Celtics organization when they went down zero or three games to zero. A lot of people were talking about, oh, Missoula's not ready and Missoula needs to be fired and this and this and that. First of all, when it comes to Joe Missoula, me personally, I'm not a big fan of his, but people have to also take into, into, into consideration, excuse me, this dude is a first-year head coach. Like, obviously, he's going to get outcoached by Eric Spolster. He, Eric Spolster is the best coach in the freaking NBA against a rookie head coach. So, like, I don't know. Like, people are saying that and just not thinking about, like, duh, he's supposed to get outcoached by Eric Spolster. He's not even in the same class with all due respect just because it's his first year in that head seat. So that's one. Two, if you're Brad Stevens, you can't even afford to fire Joe Mazzulla, one, because – if you do so, then you next year you'll be on your fourth coach in four years. And if you're Jason Tatum looking at that, to me that screams instability. And as a star player, if I were Jason Tatum, hypothetically, I would not want to be around that. Four coaches in four years, I'm good on that. I'm going to get my bag and I'm going to dip out a couple years later after I secure the bag because you just don't want that to happen. I don't think it's going to play out like that. I'm pretty sure they're going to retain Joe Mazzulla, but 
that just for all the Celtics fans out there saying we need to fire Joe Mazzulla, that's such BS in my opinion because when they were losing those first three games, they were getting blown by off the dribble by Duncan Robinson. <laughs> that's never, ever, ever acceptable. You know what I'm saying? You should not be getting blown by Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson doesn't even dribble the ball like that. So that, that just can't happen. And so that's the first thing. Now, when it comes to breaking up Jason and Jalen, of course, a lot of people want to trade Jalen because he had those eight turnovers in game seven, which I kind of understand. I'm definitely not as opposed to it as I once was because I've always been under the mindset that you need to keep the Jays together for as long as possible, as long as possible, because they're still young. They're not even fully in their primes. I think Jalen Brown is 26 right now, if I'm not mistaken. So they're still barely even scratching into their primes. I wouldn't do it. And I'm going to say it because the main thing that I've been saying for years, the Celtics have not had a true traditional old school point guard. That's not so worried about scoring first, but that's more so worried about getting Jason and Jalen their shots first. Like, yeah, Marcus Smart is a good de facto point guard, but people think I don't like Marcus Smart. It's not that I don't like him. It's that I've watched Marcus Smart for a long time going back to his Oklahoma State days. He's not a true point guard, and there's nothing wrong with that. He's better as an off-ball guard. He's a high-level defender. His jump shot has come a long way. His isolation game is much improved as well, too. He's a good player. I just, as a, if I'm a coach, which I ultimately one day will be, I don't want Marcus Smart to be my lead point guard. That's all I'm saying. And with that, if you're Brad Stevens, because I'm under the impression that you should not trade Jalen Brown, I think it's probably time to move on from Marcus Smart just because he's been there for a decade. He's the longest tenure Celtic, I believe, on the current team right now. And he's probably your best trade asset because I don't fully know their their cap sheet and their cap situation. But I know Grant Williams is more than likely gone. Al Horford, I know he has, what I think, one more year on his contract, if I'm not mistaken, maybe two. You got to get younger at that spot. That four spot is critical for them because you need a guy that can rebound, that can defend at a high level and knock down shots that come off of the gravity that Jason and Jalen provide because Al Horford's jumper has regressed. And, it's you know, he's up in age. He's been in the league for a very, very long time. Father time is undefeated, so I get it. It's, it's not a knock against Al Horford. I've honestly been saying they need to get younger at that four spot for a few years. And losing Grant Williams is definitely not going to help because, you know, he can plug and play in that position. But Grant Williams – is going to get paid. So that's the thing right there. That's the other issue. The next thing, and this goes back to Joe Mazzulla, which is, I think this is an easy fix, is that you must implement and install a real offensive system this offseason. To me, that's always been a big concern. Like, yeah, this team in the regular season was the number one ranked offense, I believe, in the NBA. And it works perfectly in the regular season because people don't understand. In the regular season, Nowadays, especially, it's really just glorified pickup basketball. Everybody's shooting threes. You're getting up and down. You're getting a whole bunch of transition opportunities. The refs are calling whatever ticky-tack fouls. In the playoffs, most of that goes out the window. You don't get as many transition opportunities. You got to earn every single trip to the free throw line. The game slows down. You have to play real offense. And the Celtics offense this year was really just Jason Tatum, make a play. If he's not scoring, he's going to pass to somebody for open three or Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, and Marcus Smart are going to get a bucket isolation-wise, or give it to Jalen Brown and let him do the same thing. That hot potato basketball between Jason and Jalen is not going to work. And that's why I think if you get a real point guard, you can get somebody that understands where to get Jason and Jalen 
in their spots and get them the best capable and possible shots every single time down the floor. So if I'm Brad Stevens, it's not a it's not a difficult fix. I honestly think fixing the Celtics is an easy fix, and this is coming from a Heat fan, so I do not want to see the Celtics get better. But if you trade Jalen Brown, the chances of you getting worse are much higher than you getting better for trading Jalen Brown. I'm going to finish with this with the Celtics because I don't want to spend too much time on them. Getting back to Jalen Brown real quickly because a lot of people are talking about those turnovers and that his handle is trash. And I'm here to say all that talk is BS. And I'm going to say it's BS just because when you look at it from this year and last year's perspective, nobody was talking about Jalen Brown's handle until the Celtics got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Last year versus my Heat again, and this year versus my Heat. Just look at the last round. Jalen Brown, in my opinion, was – you can I'm not even going to say that. You can make a case in the last round versus Philly that Jalen Brown was the Celtics' best player. Yes, Tatum had that 50 ball in Game 7, but Jalen Brown was one of the main reasons that they were able to win that series in seven games. If Jason Tatum played a little bit better, they probably beat Philly in five to six games. You know, Jason had a couple games where he was off scoring or yeah, scoring wise and shooting wise. But if he plays a little bit better, they probably beat them in six games, five games minimum. Right. So that's my thing. Nobody talks about Jalen Brown's handle being weak until he gets to the highest stages of the NBA. And I understand Celtics fans, you guys are dying to get another championship. I understand it. But also take a step back and look at the outlook of the Eastern Conference. My Miami Heat team is not getting any younger. The Bucks, as of right now, yeah, they hired Adrian Griffin. Shout out to him. They're not getting any younger. Philadelphia is not a threat. Toronto is a long ways away. The Knicks need another star. Like, you guys clearly have the best future in the NBA. Or not in the NBA, in the Eastern Conference for sure. Maybe even in the NBA, but definitely in the Eastern Conference. So don't rush it just because you feel like uh, Jalen has a little turnover problem. Like, yes, working on your handle is a hard thing to improve upon, but... Jalen Brown, man, he can get better. It's still room for improvement there. And if you break it up, I honestly don't think that's going to make Jason Tatum happy either. Unless you get a significant upgrade, I don't really know. People are saying trade for Dame, trade for Bradley Beal. Like, those guys, I'm going to be honest, those guys aren't the answer. As much as I love both of those guys, y'all know how I feel about Dame and Brad Beal. They're not the answer. You have two premier wings. Jalen does need to get better defensively because I think a lot of people kind of overrate his defense. Like, off the ball, He's always been kind of suspect because he gets too caught ball watching. But on the ball, he's really regressed. And he's got to get back to just being a high-level defender because it hasn't been there for a little bit of a time now. But I'm not too worried about the Celtics. If you're Brad Stevens, you shouldn't be panicking. You shouldn't be, you know, trying to blow it up and get rid of all this. No, bro. Keep the Jays together. I promise Celtics fans, come back to this podcast in a couple years. You guys will probably have a championship as much as it pains me to say that. So that is that. Now let's get to the NBA Finals, right? The two last teams standing in the NBA representing the Western Conference, you have the Denver Nuggets, and of course representing the Eastern Conference, you have my Miami Heat. And I want to give my flowers to the Nuggets because I have been – people will call me a Nuggets hater. I'm not a Nuggets hater. I've just been frustrated with some some of the things that they've done. Of course, they had the incident with Markeith Morris, and he was out for the rest of the season, but – my biggest issue with them stems back to when Jamal Murray got hurt. I can't remember if it was last year or two years be- uh, before ago, excuse me. But the year that he tore his ACL, I'll never forget watching that game in Golden State because I kept telling people that I was around at the time that he doesn't look right. It's something off about. I'll never forget. 
he did like a dribble handoff with the Joker and he completely ran away from the ball and went to the opposite corner. And I was like, yeah, something's definitely not right with him. And while he was doing that, he was limping. And for a player like that to not want and demand the ball, we've seen what he's been doing just in these playoffs alone. And even in the bubble, that dude wants to rock in his hands for him to just run away from the ball and pretty much just crouch over on his knees and be like, no, nah, I can't do it. That frustrated me because the, the Nuggets training staff should have not been allowing him to play. And then he literally tore his ACL like three plays later. So that always frustrated me. But I'm glad that they're healthy. I'm glad that MPJ is doing his thing. KCP has been a huge revelation. Same thing with Bruce Brown. I want to give a huge shout to Uncle Jeff Green, man. He's been – we don't give him enough flowers, man. He's been one of the best and most consistent role players in the NBA for a very, very long time. Mike Malone has also been one of my favorite coaches in the league. Um, he's well-beloved by all the players, it seems like, majority of the players across the league, not even just Nuggets players. You know, Christian Brown is a winning player out of Kansas, just won a national championship a year ago. So this team is well-connected. They play a beautiful brand of basketball. It's unselfish. They cut hard. They play good defense. And I'm very much so looking forward to this NBA Finals, which starts tomorrow, and I cannot wait for that. So I just want to give you guys – a couple keys for both teams, and then we'll get out of here, man. So for my Heat, the first thing, we have to attack the paint. As much as the Joker is a great talent, the one thing that God did not bless him with is the ability to protect the rim. Because when you look at who we've played, we played the Milwaukee Bucks, who do a great job. All they want to do, under Budenholzer at least, they want to just protect the paint and live or die with teams shooting them out of games, right? So you have Brooke Lopez, you had Giannis. Those are big-time rim protectors. The Knicks, same thing. I'm not a big-time Mitchell Robinson fan, but he is a good rim protector, right? Then you have the Celtics. Rob Williams does a great job at protecting the rim. So we've seen better rim protectors than Nikola Jokic. You have to get to the paint. And Jimmy and Bam, both those guys like to get a lot of their buckets near or inside the paint. And so they have to attack. And I understand that they have good individual defenders like Aaron Gordon, like KCP. So you're going to have to work to get there in the first place. But we have to attack and live and die and play in the paint. I think that's the best way to beat them. That's kind of why I like the Lakers to beat them. Obviously, the Nuggets ended up sweeping them. But the Lakers had the recipe of getting into the paint. you got to get into the paint and make them pay for there. So that's one. The second thing is that you must make Nikola Jokic work on both ends of the floor. I think a lot of people are kind of discounting the defense that Bam provides, which again, I think is utterly disrespectful. Like Bam is not no slouch. The Joker might have a couple 30, 40 point outings in this series, but I promise you he's going to work for every single one of his buckets while Bam is guarding him. I assume, sadly, I hate to say this, but we'll probably have Cody Zeller guarding him a couple different times. Maybe even Kevin Love will, will guard him a couple different times, but it's going to be like that. So you, Bam is going to do what he needs to do. And offensively, you got to do the same thing. You got to attack the Joker. You have to make him pay and work hard on both ends of the floor. And you got to give the Joker a lot of credit, too, because he's a well-conditioned superstar. It's rare that you ever see him huffing and puffing or looking tired. So regardless, you got to make him work on both ends of the floor, right? That's the second thing. Three, if you're the Heat, which I'm already knowing Eric Spolstra offensively, this Heat team is very fun to watch outside of when we go on our little offensive scoring droughts. You got to make MPJ and Jamal Murray commit to playing defense. And I think we will because our defense features a lot of motion, a lot of cutting, a lot of action, a lot of off-the-ball action. So make MPJ and Jamal Murray move their feet defensively because 
MPJ used to be looked at as a defensive liability. I give him a lot of credit. He's gotten much, much better on that end. I only think he's gotten much better. I just think he's more dedicated and committed to play defense because that's all that, that defense really is. It's just an effort thing. you got to want to play defense to be good at it. So if you're MPJ, I mean, he's done a good job at that. And so Jamal, same thing. He's not a bad defender, but those two guys are, in my opinion, with the Joker, those are the, the three worst defenders in their lineup, of course, with KCP and Aaron Gordon there. So you have to attack those two. And then the fourth and the fifth thing, the fourth thing is we just got to keep doing what we're doing. You know, we got to play inside out. We got to get our shooters good looks. You know, Gabe Vincent got to continue to be Gabe Vincent. Max Struess got to keep being Max Struess. Duncan Robinson is going to have a chance to knock down some shots. They're going to try and run us off that three-point line, I promise you. But we have to make them pay. If we can shoot, if we can continue shooting the way that we've been shooting, I love our chances in this series. And then the last thing, I've been talking to a lot of people about this, and I've kind of already touched on it a little bit, but I'm not going to sit here and say this is a legacy series for Bam Adebayo, but I think in my opinion with Bam, this is a chance for him to really etch himself in Miami Heat history. He's already in there. He's already working his way up. I, I'm, he's already top 10 Heat players of all time, but this right here is a chance for Bam Adebayo to really be that guy. My biggest thing with Bam is that he just has to be aggressive, but more so too, he has to be decisive because the thing is when he gets turnovers, it's always because he's being indecisive. Like he, he doesn't know if he wants to do a dribble handoff. He doesn't know if he wants to set the screen. He don't know if he wants to score when he's decisive. And when he doesn't think about what he's going to do and he just does it, he looks amazing. He looks like a top three big in the league, which he is in my opinion, after of course the Joker and then B. So when Bam is decisive, that's the best Bam out of bio. That's the best version of Bam that you will get. So I need him to be aggressive and decisive. Now, for the Nuggets, I'm going to get y'all out of here. The key for the Nuggets are very quick. Just like the Heat, stay true to what got them here. Don't change anything up. I know Michael Malone's probably saying that in the locker room. Keep doing what you're doing. Play unselfish. Play hard defense. And they're going to have a great chance at setting themselves up to get their first ever Larry O'Brien trophy. Secondly, because they are a much bigger team, Aaron Gordon is what, 6'8", 6'9", MPJ is 6'10", the Joker is 7 feet. That's a big lineup. And not only is it a big lineup, it's a big lineup compared to a small Miami Heat team. Gabe Vincent is, what, 6'1", 6'2". Max Drews is not that much taller. You know, Jimmy is 6'6", 6'7"-ish, but we're a small team. So if you're the Nuggets, you need MPJ and Aaron Gordon to crash that offensive glass because those second-chance opportunities are going to present themselves. Third thing, I already mentioned this earlier when I started off this episode. You have to play disciplined defense on Jimmy Butler. He wants to get to his shot fakes. He's going to pump fake you. He's going to put you in weird situations defensively. You got to stay disciplined. If you're KCP, if you're Aaron Gordon, who I assume are going to be the primary defenders on Jimmy, you got to stay disciplined. Another thing, second to last thing, you got to run them off. You got to run us off that three point line between Struess, between Duncan, between Gabe, between Caleb Martin, even Jimmy sometimes. If you get us off that three-point line, we're not the greatest team at scoring inside the paint outside of Jimmy and Bam. So if you can run us off our shooters, especially off that three-point line, you're going to you're gonna have a good chance at setting yourself up to get Ws. And then the last thing, if you're the Nuggets again, because you're the bigger team, you must attack Gabe Vincent and Max Struess because those two guys just so happen to be our weakest links defensively and going back to my heat real quick that's the last i have for the nuggets i think haywood highsmith is going to play a lot more um in this series you know spo did a good job of implementing him in the series against boston he's lanky played good defense on both the jays but 
for a guy like MPJ, for a guy like Aaron Gordon, you're going to need a big body like that. And shout out to Haywood Highsmith too, man. He's been staying patient and just staying true to himself. Shout out to Baltimore. Shout out to my guy Wayne Cole doing a great job out there in the DMV for the Mystics and the Wizards and everybody else out there. But Haywood Highsmith might be a low-key X factor in this series. So I assume Spoh's going to play him a little bit more, man. But that is it. As always, if you made this far, I truly, truly, truly do appreciate y'all, man. This has been another episode of the Kevo Bands Hoops podcast. Please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you listen to my podcast on Apple or Spotify, please leave a rate and review. That is how we share and grow the podcast. Again, y'all stay safe out there. Y'all be easy. Keep evolving. Keep being the change that you want to see in the world. And understand that any one of the problems that you have in this world, it all starts and ends with you, man. You have all the answers. Don't question yourself. Listen to yourself and honor your emotions, man. But as always, peace and love gone.